Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the sixth round of the Cyclocross World Cup, the second and final one which took place in France and with me here to do that is Issa. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here once again. We return to Flamanville after an absence of one year. Fact about that is that in France most of these races are funded by the local government and they hand out subsidies like this every other year. So that's why it's super common to see rotating races there. We've seen it before with Pontchateau and Nomer rotating and now we seem to be in a rotation scheme between Besançon and Flamanville but it was good to be back. Let's go and talk about the racing then. It was Kevin Kuhn who had the fastest start in the men's race and he led for the first lap. But in the second lap, Pim Ronhaar took the lead and immediately set a high pace. Why did he break open the race so early? Well, a couple of his main rivals, Eli Isabit, Thibaut Nijs and Lauren Zweig all had bad starts and at that point were at the back end of the top 10 or even outside of the top 10. Ronhaar's pace immediately had consequences as Nieuwenhuis crashed. He opened the gap together with Kuhn. So Ronhaar and Kuhn together, but not for long because Ronhaar quickly distanced himself from Kuhn who fell back into the pack of chasers. By the end of the second lap, Isabit had moved up into second place, but he had work to do. He was 10 seconds behind and he started pacing. He put in everything he had in the third lap, but was unable to close that gap. The gap went up even, in fact, to 14 seconds. But Isabit didn't give up, he kept going and eventually dropped both Nieuwenhuis and Van der Haar, the only chasers that were able to keep up with his pace. Ronaar seemed to be in control, but he started to lose that control over the race around the halfway point. After some 35 minutes, Isabit started closing, second by second, that gap came down, it went to 8 seconds, Ronaar managed to gain back 2 seconds, it went back to 10, you get it, it was a game of seconds for a while, but eventually Isabit got that job done. He closed that gap with some 3 laps to go. Isabit didn't wait for long, he immediately took control of the leading group, sentenced Ronar to that second place. Ronar fought back but made a mistake, he went wide on the apex of the short off-camber 180 downhill corner, needed to chase, fought back to the wheel of Isabit, but Isabit simply was stronger. In the penultimate lap he dropped Ronhaar and Ronhaar completely cracked from there on. Isabit went on to take victory. Ronhaar did not end second, he lost some 20 seconds in that penultimate lap to his teammate Lars van der Haar and in the final lap Ronhaar was unable to turn the tide. The podium was Eli Isabit ahead of Lars van der Haar and Pim Ronhaar. About that win of Isabit Isam, I have two points. I will come to the tire choice of Pim Ronhaar in a bit, but I think above all we need to applaud that mental strength, the mental magnitude, the strength, the fortitude there of Eli Isabit during the race. After a bad start, he was like 15th to fight his way through the field and keep chasing for over 30 minutes. That's impressive. Absolutely. I think it's... Um very easy to panic in such a situation and to either pace yourself way too fast in the beginning of the race to make up uh, in a very short time you know in some occasion it's it's a very um, vice way to close the gap because then you you might be able to get in a in a phase of the race where you can rest a little but i think the way he tackled his his mishap and, and, and the unfortunate part that he had in the beginning of the race, missing the start and not being well positioned and, you know, kind of missing out of uh, the guys in the front 
you know, really composed right from his side. And, you know, mentally you need to be strong. You need to believe in yourself. You need to understand that it is something that you can still make up and, and never panic. And I think that is, uh, that's basically how he went through it. And it was a very strong ride from his side. And <laughs> after yesterday where we were kind of, I wouldn't say doubting him, but we were definitely seeing some signs of an Ezer beat that wasn't at his best. But today it... Uh, you know, it was uh, almost the opposite. He, he looked very good. Uh, he tackled the course very nicely, and it and it it looked very active. You know, it was especially the the later rounds and and the phase where he dropped Ronar as well. You know, there are a lot of riders that when they reach when they finally close a gap, they they sometimes take a little time, little breather to just you know settle a little, get some rest, and then try to put the the guy under pressure. But Ezer beats, you know, after the mistake of Ron Harry passed him and then was like, okay, this is now my moment. I have to put him under pressure and, and make sure that he uh, he's not going to survive my wheel very long. And he did that. And that was a, you know, great ride from Ezer beat. Nothing, nothing to add on that, to be honest. I still think this is not the freshest Ezer beat we have seen, but nevertheless, it was a good performance by him and... Okay, yes, Ron Haar and Van der Haar didn't race yesterday and they had an advantage there. These are two riders that are gonna go training in Spain from Tuesday onwards. Both are skipping Valdi Sol. Isabidin is a very comfortable position for the World Cup overall now. His lead is, I think, like 30-ish points on on his competitors, Van der Haar and Ron Haar. Both are gonna be skipping as said so he should have that in the bag if I were him I would also think about potentially skipping a race there to just keep a bit of extra freshness I mean next week is a long travel again but ultimately he seems well he seems confident in himself he seems to have made a decision I'm just going to race everything this year I don't really care about that freshness around nationals and worlds I just want to take that grand slam win oh it's not a grand slam just the winning everything it's a grand slam if you also take the world title and i'm not sure if the national title is included there but he just wants to win all three classifications and seems to have made that his target and he did well today but at the same time i'm a little bit critical about bim ronhard today i do think his tactic made sense once three of his main competitors had bad starts he utilized that opportunity and put his beat under pressure. I mean, if that gap is five seconds more, I think mentally it's even tougher for Isabit to close that if he's looking at 20 seconds rather than 15 at some point. But the tire choice, I just can't understand it. And Sven Nice's team manager also couldn't understand it. Ronar was racing on the Grifo thread, which, yes, it gives less rolling resistance, but it does give you... A lot less grip as well and you could see him sliding and especially in that second half of the race as the tiredness kick in he couldn't keep his technique he started slipping he started sliding he needed to ride super wide lines everywhere which weren't always working i would say most of the time it wasn't working and compare that to Isabit. Isabit is riding dugast on the dugast i would always say this is a reno course gives you just that little bit more grip can ride slightly tighter lines it will help you on the climbs we could see Isabit had that traction to make it up that steep ramp in front of the chateau before the barriers Ronar needed to go off there around the barriers Ronar didn't have the grip to jump well he jumped a couple of times but at the crucial moment around halfway point of the race he walked cost him three seconds he was less confident I just don't understand it if you're 
racing Dugast, I would always say this is a Rhino course. And if you're racing Challenge, I would say this is a Baby Lemus course. I don't really understand it, that decision, especially if you have capable staff members telling you that you're making the wrong decision. I don't really know why he was sticking with that. Maybe he was just confident and in a feeling or hoping stuff would dry out. But I definitely saw him lose grip and the lines he was taking were different than the lines Isabit were taking. So, yeah, a bit, bit torn there, especially because of those comments of Sven Nice, who said that he told him like 10 times to switch to a different thread. It's indeed a bit odd that uh, someone with, with the caliber and the, the name as, as, as a Sven Nice doesn't, doesn't uh, get recognized in this situation, need to be honest, because it's difficult for Ronna in a way because, you know, he was quite early in the race alone at the front and then it's a bit harder to kind of guess what the other riders are doing. But when you get that advice from your team, and especially from someone like Sven Nijs, then, you know, you have to take that very serious, I would say. And, and even if it maybe feels um, a little wrong, probably the best decision um, to do that because, you know, of course the rider uh, is on the bike and, and, and feels uh, his bike the best uh, and, and knows what he what he needs on, on, on the course. But at the end, the spectators, the people around, the people that are watching, that they can have a better look they can look at the competitors and they can compare and i think that i that i fully agree with you that you could see that there was just a couple of moments that just the sliding overall it costs also some energy and you cannot be smooth on such a course with the tire thread that that ronar was running and yeah it's um it's a bit of a shame and i don't know he was he was quite disappointed when when he crossed the line could have played a role there that he you know might have thought what if but I think, nevertheless, it was quite a good race from his side. It was a strong race again, and okay, it's a loss in the end, but and he was close to to winning, especially when you lead out the group for so long. But yeah, in the end, there's not much you can do about that, and you have to, um, yeah, just accept the defeat and, and and move on, and learn from your mistakes, and maybe trust the team members a little bit more. I would hope there is some sort of reflection upon that, but nevertheless, I don't think or I at least don't want to give a purely negative impression of the race of Ronar here. I think, above all, he just spent a lot of energy in that first part of the race, and then he needed to go super deep after he got stuck in the banners. Once he finally caught up to Izabi, there was just nothing left in the tank there, and Izabi was super strong. He found a course that suits him well, this type of technical stuff, the corners, it helps that he's small around here. It was not... Well, there was somewhat, but it was not all too much power the straights had been broken up by a bunch of corners a couple of small minor elevation ramps which suited him well and he did well but at the same time if you were gonna tell me especially after the start of the season Pim Ronar is gonna chain a number of results 170 or 4 117 13 I would be telling you that he finally got his consistency going and he's been doing relatively well now for a couple of weeks ever since that win and then the Mondo okay had that bad race in Troyes but Dublin and Flamanville both good results at European Championship in Pontchateau was good as well just missed that podium there things are definitely going well for him and we shouldn't forget he's a first year elite I mean last year he made that switch to the elite but in terms of racing age he's a first year elite 
he still has time to grow. Last year, the expectations were super high. So nice in the preseason said Ronar has a level to compete with Eli Izerbeet. It didn't happen last year. It's happening this year. I think he can, despite all that, take some positives from it. And I think that's the situation for the entire team. The Boaza Trek team is still in the width. It's strong. I mean, Van Turenhout wasn't there today. But a second, third and a fourth is definitely a good takeaway for that team. And he can look forward to um, to go training in Mallorca together with Lars van der Haar. And, I mean, van der Haar, I think, can be relatively satisfied. He was second. What do you think about that? Do you think he's satisfied? In the end, maybe with that last lap, he would think that there was maybe more in the race. I think overall he should be satisfied with it. I think that these are beats had also his difficulties in the first lap and just got through the race a little bit faster and Van der Haar just needed a little bit more time to get in the race and it would have been a good battle if if that process for Van der Haar just went a little bit faster and he got through the field a little bit faster as well but you know cyclocross is only an hour race so <laughs> you gotta have your uh your things together quite quickly and I think that Van der Haar just didn't have that uh today and and you know then it's just um I think that you can only be satisfied with a second place because for me it feels like that was the highest achievable today for uh, for Van der Haar. Yeah, I think so as well. In the start, he too didn't have the best start, but he did eventually manage to hook himself onto Elisabeth. But then once they went through the groups, Elisabeth was just slightly faster. Van der Haar was a bit more on the back foot, but I don't think that's what made the difference. I think Van der Haar was just slightly less fit on the day than Izerbeet and I think it will be interesting to see what Van der Haar will do in the rest of the season. Izerbeet, as I just said, is only focused, solely focused on that classification. Well, not only the class, the classifications. He wants to do everything. He's going to load himself with a ton of races in the Christmas period. Van der Haar is doing the opposite. He says, I want to be good at nationals. I want to be good at worlds. So it will be interesting. Are we going to see a good Van der Haar at Worlds and Nationals, and will he then have the upper hand there over Izerbeet or not? That's going to be the interesting question, because for now it looks that Izerbeet is going to win the Super Prestige, that's pretty much sure. In the World Cup, he looks pretty much sure as well. Only the X2O trophy left, and I think he has a good shot there with uh, Bao and Herentals, both races where I do fancy Eli Izerbeet slightly more than Lars van der Haar, but we'll need a Wait and see how that's unfolding, but I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that in the upcoming weeks. If we look at the entire top 10, then Isam, we see a couple of riders who raced yesterday in Boom and a couple of riders who are only focused on the race here in Flamanville. Izabi took the win ahead of Van der Haar, Ron Haar, and Nieuwhuis. Niels van der Putten was fifth ahead of Kevin Kuhn, Emil Verstringen, Ryan Kamp, Jens Adams, and Joran Viseuren in 10th. Yeah, Isam, if I look at the entire top 10, I don't think there's that many standout names. It's a bunch of names that we're used to have seen up there for a number of times. But I would like to have your thoughts on how riders have dealt with this double weekend. I mean, last week in Dublin, it seemed to be a bit of an issue, the riders doubling with Kortrijk. There were fewer riders who did that. How do you think it influenced riders now? Because we saw on one hand... Izerbeet do pretty well, but then we saw Nieuwhuis, who definitely was a lot less fresh, a lot less powerful than he was yesterday in Boom. Van der Putten did well. At the same time, we see riders like Kuhn and Verstringen do better. Adams, who also raced yesterday, seems to 
be slightly below what we saw. How do you think that influenced it? Was it the travel or do you think it's more just the fact, well, they raced yesterday? I think the travel was not that terrible to, to Flamanville because from what I heard, Dieserbeet, for example, had the strategy to, to take a hotel five hours away from Bohm or something and then from there do the rest of the, the, the travel to Flamanville. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that this week you could definitely see that the double weekend definitely hurt some guys a little bit more than others. And that has you know various reasons, obviously, but... I think we are not still yet in that part of the season where double weekend will really hit somebody in such a way that this result is is is, is completely gone and, and you know that obviously we are, we are seeing that already but I think in the later stages of the season a double weekend will will cost a little more energy than it is already that's going to be interesting but you know for for me personally I think if you look like to a guy like Van der Putte very good double weekend. New house, yeah, was a little more difficult today, but still came out of it quite quite good. So it's interesting to see that the double weekend at the moment is still you know having its effect, but not uh, a huge impact on the results, and that it's more a personal thing. But I think especially if we go in the later stage of the season, well, it's then then you're going to see riders complain about it, and also you're going to see visibly in the results. That um, that it's that's you know it's just more and more difficult for the riders. I mean, it did seem to affect Thibaut Nice. We know this is a rider who's not on the greatest form, but he ended 19th today. Sveik had a horrendous weekend. I mean, I don't know if it was down to the travel. Probably not, because he said he had a terrible day yesterday and then quit the race. Today he was 12th, never really in it at the front, but. I agree with you, like the overall assessment in the Christmas period, you will really see this factoring through, like how many races have you been doing now, how many races are you doing in the Christmas period, because if you are one of the riders going for the festive racing, Antwerp on the 23rd, Gava on the 26th, then Zolder on 27, Diegem on 28, Hulst on 30, and then Baal on the 1st, I'm looking at Elisabeth in this case. By Baal, you're definitely going to be feeling all of that. You're definitely going to be feeling all of this. You're going to be feeling that trip to Valdisol. And I'm slightly worried about how much races Isabit is going to do in that period. And if he goes through the, all of them and does well, then you won't hear me about it. Well, you probably will because I'm going to be surprised. I think that it's going to be a lot to take. And I will once again make the same case as yesterday. His lead in the World Cup overall standing is big. His rivals from the high and roll now are skipping. If I were Elisabeth, I would seriously consider skipping that race in Valdisol next week. And that's kind of the phase where you are in, in the season right now. And it's always a bit weird because everybody is at some point going to skip something and go for training. And every week you're, hmm, who is here? Hmm, who isn't here? Hmm. Oh, this rider is training. Oh, this guy is extending training. Oh, he isn't racing. Oh, last minute decision to not travel to France by Van Turenhout, which completely makes sense considering the fact that his shoulder is still hurting. But it, it gives a weird atmosphere to this phase of the season. Hey, is Jan Dori Altuist? And onthou vooral die voornaam. Thibaut is the name. Then it's time for the Dutch word of this week. This week it doesn't really have a big relevance to the racing, but it's just a general cyclocross term. Isam, the Dutch word of this week is fietswissel. 
bike change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, a whistle, it's it's a word that uh, when there is a puncture or when the riders have to change the bikes because of uh, the amount of mud the, the bike has to endure or sand, and then obviously a bike change is, is very convenient. And then, you know, the... Dutch word fiets whistle fiets bike and the whistle is uh, the change and um, yeah that's it's it's a word that's very common in, in cyclocross and it's definitely a word when you are watching the race both on, on on the Dutch or Belgian broadcast or in Belgium itself the racing there you hear fiets whistle quite often especially when when a rider all of a sudden has a gap on, on someone else and it's because of a bike change then then the word Fietsvissel is definitely something that you will hear uh, a couple of times uh, throughout a race. Let's go and talk about the women's race then, Issam. We had Marie Schreiber take the best start there and she led for the first lap. She opened well, she was in control, opened the gap on the technical section. But in the second lap, Lucinda Brandt, who had, well, not a bad start, but an average start. She was, I think, 6th, 7th. She moved up to 2nd and closed that gap to Schreiber. She did not wait long once she caught Schreiber. She immediately took the front and dropped Schreiber. Brandt was never able to establish a massive lead, but she quickly did establish a comfortable cushion of 15 seconds. That gap was stable yeah it was stable at those 15 20 seconds for most of the race one mistake could have brought Schreiber back into the race but that mistake never came from Lucinda Brandt she took victory second win in a row second place eventually went to Schreiber but she did have to fight for it because around the halfway point of the race she was caught by the Paul Sauser duo of Betsema and Bentfeld Betsma was the first to drop out of them, and Benfeld, well, she hung in there, she hung in there with Schreiber for a while, but never really was able to make a statement. Schreiber ended second, claiming her first podium, but Benfeld was satisfied with that third spot, as it was also her first elite podium. So, Isam, the second World Cup win in a row for Lucinda Brandt. It was a good performance, but at the same time, with all the due respect, Lucinda Granada was sick. Pietersen wasn't there, Van Empel wasn't there, Van Android just started her season and we saw in Boom how that went. It's also what we expected her to do, but yeah, overall just a continuation of what has been a pretty successful return to the field for Lucinda Brandt after a collarbone fracture. Yeah, I think that obviously before the race starts it's uh, not certain who's going to win, but... This was definitely with the field that started today. She was the main favorite and the one that kind of had to win. But then you still have to race. It's a, It was a tricky course, but it was also a course that if you had a good form, you could still make the most out of it. And I think that we saw that today. Good race overall. And I think that, like you said, it's a, a line of progression that we have seen already over the course of the last couple of, of races. And from her debut in a way this, this season, her start this season, it was... Yeah, we, we saw that there was something to work with and that the shape was there. And these are races that can happen, especially with the, the absence of, of a Peters or Van Empel in certain races. Then you can capitalize on that. And especially now with Alvarado also not being able to race. You know, this is a race where then Brandt becomes main favorite and has to then make the most out of it and win. And she did that. And it was a good race from her side on a course that I think didn't really completely suited her the best but she made the most out of it and definitely the deserved winner today 
Most definitely. As you say, there were not that many power sections, which is the strength of Lucinda Brandt. I think that is part of the reason why she never really managed to create a very big gap. Her marginal Schreiber was always around those 20 seconds, 15, 20. You know, if you make one mistake, the gap is down to seven, maybe five seconds, and Schreiber or Bentfeld or whoever was leading the chase would be back in the race. But we know that Lucinda Brandt is a rider that can control a race like this, and she was simply the strongest. And funnily enough, she's up into second now in the overall World Cup. She leads riders like Van der Heide and Benfeld, who have done all the races. She overtook Baxter, who didn't race here. Baxter is in the US. They were in San Diego for some team events there with Canyon Shram. And that's always the case in this season. And I already touched upon it in the men's race. It's always, hmm, who is there? Who isn't? What's going on? So it, it gives a bit of a weird vibe to what's going on here. But it does give the opportunity to a couple of other riders who have been close to the podium to finally get that podium. Mary Schreiber, the first one that comes to mind. Second place today. Can't really say it's a surprise. She's been close to that podium a number of times already. Last week in Dublin, she was fourth. It was overdue and now it's finally arrived. And I thought maybe the most interesting part, once again, is the way that she's changing her tactics around the start. Lars Boehm was on the Belgian TV during the during the race, also saying that this is something they're working on, how she can control the race more. And you could see it. Yes, she took the fastest start, completely fine. But unlike in a race as Rudervoorde, she doesn't completely go into the red zone in the first lap. She controls herself, controls the effort, and manages to keep the same pace for almost the entire race. There was still a small dip in the third lap, but then she recovers and still had enough in the tank to drop Betsma and Benfeld and take a great second place. I think it's a combination maybe of having uh, having a better form, getting into the season, and then also learning from the mistakes and be just a little more composed in the beginning of the race. Obviously, it's not a bad habit to have a fast start. Actually, you can make a lot of use out of that. And most of the time, if you have a very good start, you you can actually avoid trouble that could happen in the first lap if you're just a little more behind. And that costs a little more energy than actually starting fast in the first lap. So I think it was for her the highest achievable. And But then you still have to do it. And sometimes she has the tendency to maybe have an eye on a second place or a third place and then just because of the efforts that 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 she already had put in the race in the beginning just not having enough to then secure the maximum out of it and i think today she did that very well it's uh, for her progression and also as she has said this was a goal for her to to get a podium it's definitely something that you know you can be proud of and you know, if that was your goal, you can kind of g- have a more relaxed view on the season, and you, the pressure that you kind of had before the before the season, where you wanted to achieve so many things, it kind of you know eases, and then you, it's a lot easier to to find better results in 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 the rest of the season. So I think for her, it's a great achievement, and it it looked very good. Also, if you look at the lap times, there was that small dip, but hold her own and. A very strong race from uh, from Marie Schreiber, for sure. Where for Schreiber, it wasn't really a surprise. I was more surprised with the ride by Leonie Benfeld. Yes, we have seen a couple of glances of the talent she has this season. She was pretty good in that race in Maasmechelen. 
the European Championships U23, she missed the podium. But especially that race in Maasmechelen Mechelen so far stood out a couple of top 10s after. But now a podium, I have to say, I was slightly surprised. After yesterday, I was not really expecting Shirin van Androoy to take it. But Manon Bakker, Annemarie Worst, Denise Betsema, Inge van der Heide, all riders that I would, even on a course like this, take over Leonie Bentveld. So I think that Bentveld can definitely be happy. And I think it was mainly due to the power today. This is a course where Bentveld has some sort of history. As a junior, she won the overall World Cup here. It got mentioned quite a couple of times, but it's not really the full story. She won the overall World Cup because Zoe Baxit had COVID and missed the round. Benfeld won the race in a battle against, I don't really remember who, but one of the Czech riders or French riders, I don't remember. But she won that junior race and won the overall, so she said that that went through her mind a couple of times in the race. And that positive mindset can help, but ultimately I think today she just had more power and then we come to the point which we already discussed i do think for her it helped that she didn't race yesterday in bohm because we saw that Anna-Marie Vorst and Denise Betsema both riders who did race yesterday faded in the second part of the race whereas both Schreiber and Benfeld were that little bit fresher i think it played more of a factor here in the women's race than it did in the men's race for the front positions you know i agree with that on on the fact that it is you know, a little uh, surprising the the result from Bentfeld. I think that obviously, if you look into the season so far, she was a little better than 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 Betsema. And the fact that Betsema also had a had a shot at a at a podium spot, you can you can definitely say that in that regard, it's not that surprising. But you you would you would put her behind a Buckstead who was absent today, and also behind Schreiber. And I think that. Today she held her own quite well, was was quite close to Schreiber and yeah, I think a very, very strong race and, you know, she's still very young so it's also for her, a, a, you know, there has to be a progress and we have to be a little, we have to temper kind of uh, the expectations that we have for the, for the youth. I mean, it's very hard uh, because a lot of times we kind of have the tendency to expect so many things but in the end it's a progress and you know, it just takes time. And um, I think that with, with Bentfeld, you can definitely see that she is growing. It's a matter of time till we see the, the full potential, but at the moment it looks very good. And I think a podium like this definitely helps if, you, if you're able to get a podium with the elites. That must be a great feeling. And then from there, you know, every race and weekend you go in, you already have, you, you already kind of feel relieved that you have that podium already in your pocket. And then you're going to to look for that second podium. So it's um, yeah, it was great to see that she was able to pull it off, and good to see the progress that has been made. And you know, looking forward to see what the progress will be in the next couple of races. Let's look at the entire top ten. Then Lucinda Brandt took the win ahead of Marie Schreiber and Leonie Benfeld, the riders we just discussed. Then we come to a packet of riders who we all pretty much described as suffering from the consequences, feeling the consequences of racing yesterday. Betsma in fourth is one of them. Nevertheless, it is still a small positive note for her. I think it's her best race weekend, double weekend in quite a while. She was obviously having a tough season after being hit by a car on training in the preseason. Fifth race was for Shirin van Androoy. Sixth was for Annemarie Vorst, who faded pretty hard after being in third. Seventh was Manon Bakker, ahead of Inge van der Heide and French duo Helene Clausel and Amandine Foucounet. 
think the only real name I want to highlight here is some is Shirin van Anroy. Fifth place, it is a bit of a better result than Boom, where she raced yesterday and ended a lot lower. Fifth, it's still not great, but at the same time, there is at least a positive to take from here because after two very bad opening laps, first and second lap were pretty slow. She was the fastest rider in the remaining three laps and even faster than Lucina Brandt and Marie Schreiber. So it's at least something to build upon because she's heading back to Spain for some more training now. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you... <laughs> If if bomb didn't happen, it would have been a totally different look on on how this race went and on uh, what the season still holds for her. But I think it's uh, it's it's promising in a way, I, especially if you look at that it mainly had to do with a with a poor start and you know having that difficulty in the first couple of laps and then in the later phase of the race really getting through, getting those positions and finishing in the end uh, a very solid top five. I think that is way better than um, than the results that we have seen in, in Boom and today she just had a better day in Flamanville and then you know the it's a case of training camp and then from there see where where, where where it's going and I think that that is for her now the most important part just you know trying to get through the season make the most progress as you can and you know don't rush it you know it's just a matter of, of time when it will come and I see it more positively than I saw it at Boom, to be honest. And I think that is probably how she will look at it and even probably more positive. They know what they are doing. And, uh, you know, progress takes time. So we will have to see what that will bring. And I feel that we are saying that a lot now because we're kind of reaching that point now of, you know, we, we kind of said that the a, a second phase of a season started after the Europeans. And now it almost feels like we are entering a third phase of the season where... You know, it's kind of the, the some of the riders go for a training camp. Other riders are trying to phase into the season and get better. And yeah, that's it's kind of that feeling that we're having right now. Some riders that have to make some decisions on what they're going to do, how many weeks of training camp and uh, what race am I going to run and what race am I not going to uh, to race at. And it's it's you feel that it's, you know, that phase of, of the season where the riders are trying to plan out to have the best possible shape going into the Nationals and going into the World Championships in Tabor. Oh yeah, we are going into a new phase of the season and, well, we could say it's the third part of the season, but normally it would actually be the fourth part of the season because you can roughly divide the season in a number of blocks. I'll just explain to it how I normally do it. First, you have the preseason. This year, this block didn't really exist, but... This is when you start the season in recent years with Loka, a couple of exact crosses. Everybody that is a full-time crosser in Belgium slash the Netherlands starts their season there. They build rhythm. Then everybody builds towards a small block of racing which heads towards the European Championships. It normally starts around Rutherford. It's three weeks until Europeans. Then you have the November block. So in November, after Europeans, the form curve flows downwards. You're most of them it's like you can either be like Thibaut Nice, you're really really suffering and you're hunkering for that period where we are now the intermezzo between block three and block four this is when riders go to Spain it's when the World Cups this year of Dublin, Valdisol and Flamanville are all skipped quite extensively everybody is going training at some point or you are a rider like Iserbeet who rides low in that second block around Waterloo and try to hit your peak with the Europeans and then ride high now and then try and kind of 
avoid a dip. The fourth period is the Christmas period, which lasts all the way through the national championships. And then you come to the fifth period, with after the fourth period, a very clear week and a half of training in Spain, with now the Benidorm World Cup there. And then that fifth block ends with the World Championships. In the fourth block, you have riders like, and now, Mathieu van der Poel, Wout van Aert, but also Timo Kiedig, um, Quinten Hermans, you name them, pop into the season who are fresher, they've skipped the first three blocks, and then the sixth block is only for the diehard cross riders like Ede Isabit, Laurens Sveik, the Belgians, the Dutch, who are going to be racing in Lille, in Brussels, and finish their season in Oostmalle. That was that for a quick lesson on season planning, on how I divide the season, how most riders seem to divide the season, what happens in terms of form curves. Um, I think for the rest, not that much to discuss in the top 10. You went over it pretty well with Van Androoy. Interesting to see how she will come back from that training camp. I mean, I don't know how Bakker and Van der Heide both didn't have great weekends, but I don't want to draw big conclusions on that. Would like to wish the best to Sonne Kant. I don't think she's listening, but it was a nasty crash. She was running pretty well. She was well and truly inside the top 10, actually. I think not that far from the top 5 even, but crashed seem to have hurt her shoulder i wouldn't be surprised if something is broken but so far no news on that furthermore outside of the top 10 not a great day out for magali rochette who was at the front in the first lap but couldn't keep it up dropped to 12th same for Vash was also in the front dropped to 13th and finally laura molegraaf in 19th is not having a great season and this touches up on the point you said earlier Sam. We don't need to be too strict on them. They're young, we need to give them time, can't expect too much. It's completely normal to have a tough time adapting to racing with the elite all of the time. But just something I noticed, another rider was at the front at the beginning of the race, but faded towards the end. There was more racing than just the World Cup in Flamanville. There was a race in Poland, in Gossessin to be precise, where Marie Conrad took the win ahead of Simon Pomian and Brian Swinder in snowy conditions. The women's race was won by Susanna Kristalla ahead of Nadja Heigl and Sofia Unjerova. Last night for us in Europe, but uh, just normal times in the US, the Nash Dash had its first day of racing. Eric Brunner took the win there by three and a half minutes on Andrew Dillman and Casey Hildebrand, who finished nearly five minutes down in third. The women's race was won by Mackenzie Miet ahead of Anna Christian and Emily Curley, not the thickest of start fields there the week before the national championships. That will conclude it for this episode of the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Isam, thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. We will be back this week with a midweek podcast, probably a preview of some sort for Valdisol, the comeback of Van Aert. We'll discuss something. Thanks everyone for listening. See you guys then. Next week we're back with a podcast about the World Cup in Valdisol, whereas Issam will bring you a report from the ground in Essen, where he will see Wout van Aert start his season. See you guys then. Goodbye.